Welcome to the Report Card with Nat Malkus, the education policy podcast from the American Enterprise Institute. Last Tuesday, OpenAI launched GPT-4, a more advanced version of the large language model GPT-3.5 that the original chat GPT was built upon. It's impressive, to say the least. For example, whereas GPT-3.5 scores in the 10th percentile on the bar exam, GPT-4 scored in the 90th percentile. It's not hard to imagine that GPT-4 and future, even more powerful AIs are going to have a big impact on education. But what sort of effect will they have? Well, last week on the same day that OpenAI launched GPT-4, Khan Academy launched an experimental AI tool called Conmigo, and it uses GPT-4 to help students and teachers by acting as either a personalized tutor or a personalized teaching assistant. To discuss Conmigo and AI in education more broadly, I invited Saul Khan onto the podcast. Saul is the founder and CEO of Khan Academy, an online learning platform serving over 150 million users across 190 countries. Saul is also the founder of Schoolhouse.World, the Khan Lab School, and Khan World School. Saul, welcome to the report card. Great to be here, Nat. So I really want to get into Conmigo, this new venture, but first I'm going to step back a little bit for context. I think you're best well known for the Khan Academy, which, you know, is kind of a fixture now. Also, maybe less well known as the Khan Lab School, Schoolhouse.World, Khan World School, and now Conmigo is making waves. But there seems to be sort of a through thread through a lot of this work, a lot of these ventures that points to a void or an area for improvement in the way students learn and school systems educate them. And so just to start off, how would you characterize that void or the area that your ventures sort of seem to try and fill in the way students learn? Yeah, you know, the big picture, Khan Academy is a not-for-profit mission, free world-class education for anyone, anywhere. Uh, that mission has us always thinking about, well, what what constitutes a, a world-class education and then how do you make it free or as accessible as possible? And the notion that I and, and the Khan Academy team have always had in the back of our minds are like, you know, well, what, what does the best possible education look like? And if you were to go back several hundred years, very few people got educations, but the few people that did actually got good ones. Um, if you were a king, a prince, if you're Alexander the Great, Aristotle is your personal tutor. Uh, they got personalized mastery-based education. Mastery just means that the, the class doesn't move on if you haven't learned it yet. You get an opportunity and the incentive to keep working on something. Aristotle would have done that with young Alexander. So that's always been our, our true north. Uh, and then we've also said that it's not about technology somehow replacing the human beings. It's about empowering the human beings. So I, I've always said if I could pick between an amazing teacher and amazing technology, I'll pick the amazing teacher every time. But you don't have to pick. Uh, ideally, you get amazing teacher plus amazing technology. Uh, we also know that there's parts of the world, uh, including parts of the U.S., where students might not have access to school at all, or maybe their school doesn't offer a certain course, or maybe the way that it's done, it's not resonating with the students. So we want to raise the floor in those situations. And then if you do have, and ideally this is the situation, you have an amazing teacher and a course that's resonating with you, that the technology can raise the ceiling where that teacher can make it more personalized, uh, more more mastery based. So that's been the 
the rallying cry. I would say, you know, all of these different projects that you just mentioned have different levels of scale and different levels of depth, but they're all tackling the same thing. So Khan Academy, I almost view that as the Air Force here. It can cover a lot of ground, uh, move fast, scale very quickly. We're 150 million plus registered users, tens of millions come every month. And, and they're doing personalized practice, but it's also acting as a supplemental tutor in a lot of situations, but it's also being used in classrooms as a more systematic thing that, that they're doing. Uh, schoolhouse.world launched during the pandemic, also another not-for-profit. That's around tutoring. And the way that we're able to do free tutoring is by leveraging volunteership, by leveraging peer-to-peer or near-peer tutoring. So a lot of the tutors, for example, we're doing tutoring on the SAT the kids who are doing the tutoring, and they are kids for the most part, are 17 and 18-year-olds who got an over 1,500 and they've gone through our tutor training. But they're strong tutors and they're tutoring kids who are kind of struggling to get into that 900 or 1,000 range. We're doing that in a whole series of other topics. That's working out really well, but it doesn't, it, you know, that's on the scale of about 10,000 people per week, not 10 million like, like Khan Academy. So it's at a different scale. It's a big difference. Th- then you have Khan World School, Khan Lab School. These are full schools. These are soup to nut. You know, they issue a transcript, you graduate from them. And that's us trying to figure out how do we put all these pieces in place to create a comprehensive experience. And now, you know, the latest announcement, Conmigo, which is really an add-on to Khan Academy, it's, oh, wow, could we give some of that tutoring magic, some of that really high-touch personalization, leveraging an AI, give that to, to a lot more folks? So it sort of feels like this spring has sort of been the rise of the machines, right? I mean, these chatbots and large language models are coming out. They seem to be tripping out on top of each other. This is clearly sort of new, novel technology and super impressive. OpenAI has been leading this with ChatGPT. You know, one of my first questions is, why did they come to Khan Academy? I mean, why you? Yeah, it was back at, uh, almost a year ago now. It was late summer of 2022. They reached out to us. Uh, they said, hey, we're working on our next generation model, GPT-4. We want to work with Khan Academy potentially on, on two levels. One is we want GPT-4 to be measurably good at knowledge. And we're going to benchmark it by using things like how it performs on an LSAT, the law school admissions test, or how it performs on an AP exam and say AP biology or AP chemistry or American history. And Khan Academy, we're the official practice for the law school admissions test, we're the official practice for the SAT. We have tens of thousands of practice items on these AP exams. So they were interested in using that to help evaluate the AI, to even help potentially train the AI. But they said, even more importantly, we think GPT-4 is the one that really wakes up the world to the power of generative AI. And we think it's important. It's going to be exciting and scary. And we think it's important to lead with social positive use cases. So working with the not-for-profit where people, uh, you know, hopefully this is true, trust us to do right by learners, to do right by teachers was really important for them. And I was skeptical at first because I was familiar with GPT-2 and GPT-3 and it was it was cool, but it had a lot of hallucinations. It, it what didn't feel like something we could use. But that first weekend in August when we actually had access to the, the first version of GPT-4, we realized that, wow, this it, if we can get the hallucinations and the math working well, it's able to have nuanced conversations the way that a tutor would. It's able to emulate fairly eerily human-like um, affect, if you will, you know, verbal affect or, or word-based affect where 
you know, it could take on personas, it could take on characters. Uh, it r- wrote that much better than any of the previous generations, and it could even assess other uh, writing. So that's when we started really exploring it. Chat GPT came out in November, and I remember uh, slacking uh, Greg Brockman, who's the founder of OpenAI. I'm like, hey, I thought we weren't, we weren't going to launch this thing until March. And he's like, no, no, this isn't four. This is three. We just put a, a chat interface on three, and people all of a sudden seem to be excited about it yeah. <laughs> as a chat interface. And then I went and played with it. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is just three. This is nowhere near as cool as what we have going on, what we've been playing with. But that seemed to have uh, awakened people to the possibilities which I think has been a blessing in hindsight uh, because it kind of got people used to what this stuff is good at and not good at. And so then, you know, very recently when we announced GPT-4 and Khan Academy at the same time announced Conmigo, um, I think, you know, people already finding a lot of value out of the old version and now being able to get the new version and then also being able to do it in a, let's call it a pedagogically safe and academically safe environment uh, within Khan Academy, I think has gotten people pretty interested. Yeah, well, those last words, pedagogically safe and academically productive, that's sort of different than we think of when we see all these chats coming online for ChatGPT4. How do you characterize this for people so they can understand how Conmigo is different from just, you know, a really, really good chatbot? You've made this to tutor, not just to chat. So what's the student's experience like and how does the interface help students learn a particular topic or a particular set of questions? Yeah, there's two things that we're doing with it. Uh, One is helping students, learners, teachers do the types of things that people have always done on Khan Academy, but hopefully do it better and in a more engaging way. And then we've introduced a whole new set of modalities, activities that you honestly could never have done uh, before some of this generative AI. On, On the former, let's say a student is on Khan Academy and they're trying to do an exercise. Uh, a little bot is there in the bottom right. That's Conmigo. It looks just like the chat bots that you'd see on a lot of web pages that have been around for a while. But if you open it up and let's say you were to say, um, hey, can you tell me the answer to this problem? And even there, there's something interesting going on because it has context of the page. It's not like you have to copy and paste the problem in. It knows what's going on on that on that page, that activity you're doing on Khan Academy. You know, Conmigo will say something like, well, look, I'm your tutor. I'm not here to just give you answers, but let's work on this together. What do you think is going to be the next step? And the student will then, you know, the student might say, well, I think it might be this, or I'm really stuck. And then the teacher, uh, you know, if the student says they're really stuck, a good tutor or conmigo would say, well, why don't we look at what's going on in those parentheses? What do you think is the first thing to do? Or let's say they try to distribute a number and they don't do it right. A good tutor will be like, hey, let's take a second look at what you just did. Make sure you got the math right. Make sure you distributed it across all of the terms. That's very subtle. And honestly, not even every tutor has mastered that art of doing that well, of of turning every question into a, another question, but doing it in a way that nudges students forward, uh, but making them, ma- making it productive struggle. You don't want unproductive struggle, struggle for struggle's sake, but you also don't want to just feed the students the answer. And so that's what Conmigo does. But it can also, the student can say, why do I need to learn this? And it'll say, well, what are you interested in? And then the student says it, and it'll, it'll say, well, this is, what, this is why, or if you're watching a video, hey, at what point of the video, does this video even cover this, right? That's a time saver for students. And then, so yeah, it covers it. It covers it at, you know, this point, do you want to go there? And so the, the student can go right to that moment or, hey, can I have bullet points to review this? Or can you quiz me on on what's the contents of this video to just make sure that I understood it? So that's all in place. And everything that I just described is um, logged 
it, and those logs can be seen by parents and teachers. And if a student does anything that is, let's call it inappropriate or maybe risky, let's say a, a student says they want to harm themselves, or let's say that they start cursing or they want to they start putting hate speech to Conmigo, that's going to get flagged. And then the teachers and or the parents, whoever's connected to that account, is going to get a flag saying, hey, you might want to look at this conversation, make sure it's okay. Now, sometimes there might be false positives. They're like, oh, no, they were just talking about, you know, they were debating something in history about free speech or something. But that makes it safer. Now, that's kind of your traditional uses of Khan Academy. Now you have this tutor alongside. The other things we've introduced are a whole new set of activities. One is just a general tutor. So you can literally go to it about any topic, well beyond anything that Khan Academy, we have 50 or 60 courses on Khan Academy or the subject areas. But even if you want to go into subject area that we don't cover on Khan Academy, this tutor will help. But once again, it helps in a similar way. And, and uh, you know, to answer your question about how it's different than like just someone just trying to play with chat GPT-4, one is it's tutoring behavior. It's much more nuanced than just like, here's the answer and I go away. <laughs> That's what most of these chats do. Um, the other thing is we are doing a little bit of our own special sauce um, on top of the large language model to make sure that it's catching the math. And it's not, I won't say that's doing it 100%, but it's doing it far, far better than what you would do if you just were to go to uh, chat GPT. And one of the things we're doing is we have this notion of like an AI thought that before it responds to the student, especially if the student's ask, asking something mathematical, the AI is gen- is collecting its thoughts in a, in a place that the student does not see it. And then compares the student's response to the AI's thoughts, and then the AI openly responds to the student. So we have worked with OpenAI, and we realized that that dramatically increases the accuracy of the t- of the AI being able to detect student errors, to be able to interact with a, a nuanced way, things like that. But we've also introduced activities like you can interview historical characters. You want to talk to Benjamin Franklin? You want to talk to Cleopatra? You can have a conversation with them. You can talk to fictional characters, talk to Don Quixote, talk to Frankenstein. You can, you can do that now. Um, Zeus is my favorite there. Uh, we've created, uh, uh, students want to debate. We, we've populated with a bunch of fun debates. Uh, if you're an elementary school student, you can debate, are zoos good for animals or not? If you're a high school or college student, you can debate, should the government cancel student debt? Or is AI going to create or destroy net jobs? Um, and whatever side of the debate you want to take, the AI is going to take the other side of the debate. Um, and so once again, uh, someone could spend a lot of time on one of these just raw chat interfaces and try to construct this type of stuff. I am someone who has spent much of the last six months doing exactly that. I got to tell you that this makes it much, much easier. And you know, most of the people doing that aren't going to be doing that with a, a, a team, a well-resourced team of teachers, et cetera, to make sure that it's a really pedagogically sound activity. So to fill in a little bit here, you said hallucinations for listeners who don't know. That's when the AI invents an answer that isn't actually accurate, right? So this is a potential for error. So it's quite interesting that you found a way to reduce those. And is it true that that's a particular concern for mathematics more so than other types of subject areas? Yes. I mean, it can hallucinate in all walks. I, you know, the, the place where right now the the GPT family of large language models hallucinate the most is if you ask it for a link, it'll very confidently give you a link. That's <laughs> a made up link. Um, or I remember in the early days when we, we didn't realize that it didn't have access to the internet. And we were actually in the market uh, at the time we were looking for a CFO uh, for Khan Academy. And I said, oh, you know, can you go to LinkedIn and find some CFOs? And 
it came back with like these amazing resumes of people. I'm like, these people are perfect. Like, like we should call them. And, and like, I was about to call the phone number, but that's like, let me just check. Let me see if I can't find, they com- it completely made up the people, including their phone numbers. So like even made up like where they live. And I mean, it was, it's very, it's creative in a lot of ways. Um, so yes, it can hallucinate. Um, now math, especially is where it's, it's, I mean, there's are large language models. No one actually even expected them to be good at math, but you know, all the way through, through GPT-3, they were infamously bad at math. Even if you go to chat GPT, not so good at math. Uh, GPT-4, not perfect at math, but dramatically, dramatically better. And as, you know, we actually spent time with OpenAI helping to, to fine tune the model that everyone's using. So it's better at tutoring, better at math. But on top of that, we've been doing our own, call it prompt engineering, plus some other work we're doing to really double and triple check its math. It's not going to be perfect, but we think for, you know, 95% of students, 99% of students, it's going to be able to do, it's going to be able to help them. So that leads me to my next question. I mean, what's the kind of student that you think has the most upside for the use of these tools? So you could think about this in terms of age or grade level, maybe high school versus elementary school, higher achieving students versus lower achieving more disadvantaged or advantaged? You know, these are the kind of axes that we often think about. Is there any particular balance that swings one way or the other? Yeah, we'll see. We're just starting to roll this out into classrooms with, you know, real teachers, real students. I I, I do think this is a, this is the biggest gift of all for the curious. Because to be able to Yes, you're learning one concept, but then to be able to say like, okay, well, how does this connect to another concept? And, you know, ask all of the questions that you've always wanted to ask, but maybe you're like, oh, maybe this is a dumb question. I don't want to raise my hand in front of the professor. You can now get all of those questions answered and it will answer it very, 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 very well. Um, you know, we just talked about all the work we had to, we're doing on math, but if you do it in, in the humanities and history or even conceptual sciences and things like that, it's very, very, very good. I myself you know, I've taught cosmology on Khan Academy, but I, I always wanted to understand supernovas a little bit better. Like I always wanted to understand like, okay, a star runs out of fuel, the gravitational forces starts to collapse the material inward. Why does that, why does that eject all of this material at like this incredible speeds outward if gravity's effect? And then I, I was able to have a really good conversation with Conmigo about exactly that, about how it kind of there's an energy kind of bounces off of it as it collapses and it pushes all the, all of the material on the outer skirts of the stars. I'm like, wow, I never got that answered in a way, in a satisfying way until just now. So I think for the curious, this is going to be the biggest gift, but at the other end of the spectrum, and these actually aren't necessarily mutually exclusive students who have gaps in their knowledge. I think it's going to be really, really valuable because you're working on say a seventh grade math problem or seventh grade science problem. You're embarrassed that you forgot some of your fifth grade prerequisite material, you can just ask it in the moment right there. And it's going to be able to do an intervention with you. Now, in the past, you could go to that part of Khan Academy if you know where to go, but then you're going off grade level and you have to find your way back. What a good tutor would do and what hopefully Conmigo's doing is it's like, all right, look, you got to do this one problem. But before we jump into this problem, it looks like you're having trouble remembering the distributive property. Let's let's do a few exercises like that together. Okay, you got that now. Let's come back to the problem. That's what a good tutor would do, and that's what the AI would do. So I think that class of students is going to really benefit. I think the the relevance aspect of it, um, being able to say, why do I need to learn this? You know, we did user studies at Con Lab School, which is a school that you know uh, we talked about Con Lab School right under our offices, 
And one of the students was studying um, AP government and was looking at uh, judicial appointments uh, or Senate approval of uh, judicial appointments. And, and she asked, you know, so, so how is this relevant today? And it said, well, you know, you might remember, you know, and it talked a lot about the last three uh, judicial appointments, the Kavanaugh hearings, the this hearings, and this and that. And then she's like, oh, yeah, that, oh, that's this. Yeah, okay. I remember seeing that on the news. And she's like, this is so cool. And, then, and she was able to go back and forth on it. So um, I think it's, it's a dream for, for those kids. A lot of high school students, especially when they saw the debate functionality, they're like, oh, wait, I can fine tune my arguments before I go into a Socratic conversation with my class and I don't have to feel embarrassed that I'm going to raise my hand and say something that kids are going to laugh at. Uh, like I can really sharpen my my debate skills here. This is huge. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's going to be, you know, all, all <laughs> I said all of the above. You know, my eight year old does not like writing. We have a exercise, an activity on Conmigo where it writes with the student. And this is for younger students where you decide what you want your story about, your character about, and then you write two sentences, and then the AI writes two sentences. You write two sentences, the AI writes two sentences. My eight-year-old loves this, and he's not, he does not like writing. He did not like writing before this. Um, and so, you know, he's kind of a classic, he's a creative kid, but not that motivated to write, not that confident in his writing. It helps him all the way to a college student who wants to understand supernovas or fine tune their, their debating skills or just, you know, uh, really, or, or review for an exam. Uh, you know, there, there's pretty much any topic. Now you just type it in on Conmigo and you can, it'll quiz you on that. So if you just want to prepare for an exam tomorrow. So one thing that you mentioned earlier was that particularly if a student says, Hey, give me the answer. It sounds like Conmigo is sort of set up to say, well, no, let's do a Socratic dialogue and let's push you to get there. And, you know, for a lot of folks, I'm going to put on my techno optimist hat here that Conmigo might be able to bring the Socratic method in a way that we just couldn't do in the typical educational structure. And that, that could be just incredibly productive for a lot of students who otherwise wouldn't be able to get that. How much of the interaction is sort of based on that kind of Socratic back and forth? Oh, almost everything. I mean, we have it in uh, every one of its interactions, we we essentially are instructing it to be a Socratic tutor that does not give the answer, um, is a synopsis of, of a lot of what we're doing. And so, yeah, on, if you ask it to solve a problem, it'll say, well, let's do this together. What do you think is the right step? Now, it's not just going to keep doing that if the student really doesn't know the next step. It's like, well, have you thought about it this way? Or have you reviewed this? Or how would you handle this? It's doing what a good tutor would do. And uh, you know, when I asked it last week about, hey, I really want to understand why all this material gets ejected from a supernova, it said, well, well, what do you already know? Or what's your theory? What's your theory about why it happens? How could you explain that? And I mean, and that's pedagogically really good because I'm like, okay, well, this is just my best guess. And they're like, well, yeah, actually, you kind of got it. Now, what you missed is this, this, this. And, and you know, I'm like, wow, this is really good. <laughs> like, this is a really good tutor. Yeah. And how good is it at dealing with you know, propositions that don't necessarily have a right answer. For instance, I'm making some value judgments. You know, Conmigo, you can direct me to answers where there's sort of an objective standard that I'm supposed to meet. But how about if I'm debating something and, you know, at some point I make a value judgment, how does it engage with that kind of content, which I think in high school, I certainly hope we're pushing kids to struggle with on a regular basis? Yeah, you know, if you ask it in a vacuum, like, hey, what do you think about gun control? Um, it gives a pretty reasonable answer. It'll say, well, you know, some people feel this way for these reasons, and some people feel this way for that those reasons. Like, it'll give an answer, of, which which is fair. Um, 
on the on our debate, you know, this is why we introduced the debate because throughout we've always known that Socratic dialogue, having debates about something, that's almost like the heart of critical thinking. But we know that that hasn't been in place in a lot of mainstream schools, maybe ever. And uh, especially recently, even in places like universities where you would expect a spirited debate where in theory, you know, free speech and and dialogue are, are what a university is about. We know that that has not been the case in the last, call it 10 years. We've gotten increasingly polarized. You know, a lot of folks feel like they can't say what they think because someone's going to interpret in, in one way or the other. And so um, the debate topics we we put in there aren't lightweight debate topics. They're like, you know, should the government cancel student debt? Is the death penalty a good or bad idea? Is minimum wage a good or a bad idea? You know, things that reasonable people can take different positions on. And, um, you know, the way it's set up is that the student says what position they want to take, and then the AI will take the other side. Uh, but, you know, the, the student knows that the AI isn't saying the side is taking is the only side, because you can obviously switch it around and the AI will take the other side. So we're, we're just trying to help folks um, be able to engage productively with their points of view and then see balanced opposing points of view. Um, ideally, students do both sides of the issue so they can argue both sides of the issue. So let me ask something that I think might relate to this in just the functionality of Conmigo. Does Conmigo have accounts where it learns about the individual student? In other words, there's a chat log and that's for sort of protection reasons. And I understand that. But one could think that over time, Conmigo sort of gets to know you, know where you are, have an individualized profile and it runs on that. Or is this more like, well, it depends on the episode of what's on the screen and it just sort of runs in these episodes rather than having like a large long-term profile? So it currently just runs on the episodes, so to speak, on the current conversation session. My hope, and one of the things that both us and OpenAI have been very careful about is, you know, we aren't using even those episodes to train the AI. We're actually creating a layer where um, as much as possible, even if the student or the teacher shares personally identifiable information, that it is not going to the AI, that we're then anonymizing it before it goes to the AI. So we want to be very careful about those things. But one of the things that we do want to do, let's call it over the next six to 12 months, is some of what you described of creating a little bit of a memory at the Khan Academy layer of, of the student. Right now, if you say, why do I need to learn this? Every time it says, well, what are you interested in? Right? And even if you go to another session, it's like, what are you interested in? Well, you just ask that. We, we should store that. We should store, um, the AI itself should have, uh, have access to the summaries of uh, the conversations that it's had with the students over time. So if, if the student says, remember last week when we talked about this, or the AI says, hey, this is just like what we did last week. Um, and that, again, was going to be a, a very powerful layer uh, that you can't get just interacting with chat GPT. Uh, so yes, we, we definitely want, and, and not just you know for students, for teachers as well, uh, we've created tools for teachers to create lesson plans, to help them create lesson hooks, for them to prepare for lessons. Uh, we want to create some kind of a memory there as well. Yeah, that that's a great segue because for teachers, this can be an incredibly productive tool in large part because it can get them out of, I don't know, let's call it busy work for lack of a better term and enable them to sort of focus more on the creative side. What are the tools that Conmigo has for teachers specifically and how do you think they can best take advantage of them? 
Yeah, I think the biggest one that we launched with, although we hope to add many, many more over the coming weeks and months, but the the one that we launched with is we have one that just helps teachers write lesson plans. And, um, you know, what's what, what I think teachers will really appreciate about it, we, we already know 40% of teachers are already using ChatGPT, probably to do things like help prepare for a lesson plan. Uh, what's different about this is we have worked with a lot of you know experts in how do you create lesson plans where it is asking the teacher the right questions. It is coming up with a draft. It's familiar with various standards and learning objectives, and then and, and then it, it, it produces it. Uh, we also have a an activity for teachers to create a lesson hook, which is you could kind of view as part of the lesson plan. So the lesson planning activity will also create a lesson hook. But if you just say, "Hey, look, I already have a lesson plan." Um, but how am I going to get my kids really excited about photosynthesis today? They can spend two, three minutes with Conmigo and iterate on some really fun things. They can take an existing lesson plan that they already know and they like, but they're like, look, you know, our team just won the Super Bowl yesterday. How do I connect it? Copy and paste your existing lesson plan in and the AI will adapt the lesson to make it about your sports team or make it about whatever's relevant to, to your students. Um, we also have one where for teachers to uh, refresh their knowledge. You know, every year I'm giving this lesson on photosynthesis, but most human beings cannot remember every molecule (laughs) that's involved in photosynthesis or in respiration or something like that. So, hey, I got 30 minutes before I have to give this lesson. Let me get a refresher. The AI will do that. It'll do it socratically. Okay, what do you remember? How would you explain this? Remember, sometimes students have misconceptions about this. We think that's going to be useful. Um, On top of that, we think a lot of these activities like debate a historical figure or let's debate. I think out the gate, out the box already, as we're rolling it out, teachers are going to want to put it up on the overhead projector and have, and as a class engage with some of this stuff, I think is going to be a really fun lesson hook. Um, beyond that, I'm excited. Uh, we, we haven't launched with this, but I want ways that students can submit one. They can, teachers can assign writing on Conmigo Students can do it on Conmigo, and then it essentially will give the teachers a roll-up or summary or an assessment of how the whole classroom has done, um, which I, I think was is going to be a huge gift for a lot of teachers because pretty much any topic, and even be a math teacher, but especially if you're a humanities teacher, imagine the last 20 minutes of class, you say, look, okay, we talked about some stuff. I want everyone to go on. I'm going to sign it right now on Conmigo. I want you to reflect. What are your reflections on, I don't know you know, the antebellum period of whatever of civil war, what are your reflections? What were your takeaways, et cetera? You know, and how would you answer this question? Students spend 10, 15 minutes doing it. It gets automatically rolled up to the teacher saying, Hey, here's some strong responses. These students really didn't get the assignment. Um, here's some more feedback you might do. This is how you might want to adapt tomorrow's lesson. That would have sounded like science fiction a few months ago. I think that's, that's going to be reality within the year. So speaking a little bit about the science fiction parts of this, Whenever AI comes up, everybody's like, oh, the robots are coming to take our jobs. I know that there's a lot of teachers who hear these capabilities and they're saying Socratic method, individual instruction. Wow, this is uh, this is a little scary, perhaps. And, and I'll just also add, I asked on Twitter, hey, what should I ask Saul Khan? And some folks said, you know, what's this going to do to the demand for teacher labor? So I think that that's a real question. How do you think about this, you know, peering into the long term? as what AI can do to disrupt, complement, you know, teachers' work? I, I think it's going to be full complement. Uh, I'll give a couple of scenarios. Like there is a class of student, highly motivated students, who even before the AI could go on Khan Academy and 
they're off to the races. They're able to learn, they're motivated, they're digging into it. And we have examples of kids all over the planet, including some kids who go to places without schools. There's a young girl, uh, Sultana in Afghanistan, about 10 years ago, discovers Khan Academy, and that became her school. And uh, she eventually goes to Pakistan to take the SAT and comes to the US. And now she's a, a quantum computing researcher at Tufts University. So there is that very, very motivated class of student. But I would say even for a sultana, the ideal would not have been what she experienced. The ideal would have been to still do that with a community, with a classroom, to have caring adults, teachers who are there to support her, to make sure she's building these things, that you, these skills that you couldn't build just with Khan Academy, uh, some communication. Uh, now, she happened to be very gifted on a lot of these fronts, but to be able to work with other people, collaborate, uh, etc. So yes, I think if you have nothing else, this can raise the floor. But the ideal circumstance is you use these tools in classrooms with teachers where it acts as a teaching assistant for the teacher and it acts as a teaching assistant or a tutor for all of the students, which I think every teacher on the planet would love. If I asked every teacher on the planet, hey, um, we're going we're gonna to support you with let's call it five or six teaching assistants in every classroom of 30 that you have. Do you want that? I think every teacher will say, of course I want five or six people in my to help me grade things, to help me do a little bit more personalized attention with the students, to help me uh, manage the classroom a little bit more. Every teacher would love that and they wouldn't view that as a, as a threat to their job. And I view this as the exact same way, is that this is, it's not human teaching assistants, but it is an artificial intelligent teaching assistant. It's not going to be able to do everything that a human teaching assistant could do, especially on some of the classroom management type of things, but it's going to be able to do a lot and take a lot off of a traditional teacher's plate, which then unlocks all of this time for the teacher to spend more time with the students. And, and honestly, just more time for a teacher to recharge. We know that there's a, a teacher shortage. We know that there's a kind of epidemic levels of teacher burnout right now. People are leaving the profession in droves, especially after the pandemic. We actually think that, you know, there's no better time to introduce some of these things to ease teachers' burdens a little bit so that they you can, you can maximize the fun and productive and interesting part of their work and the amount of time they have to recharge and then minimize the administrative, less fun parts of their job. All right, Saul, so I've had my techno-optimist hat on. I'm going to take it off here after a minute and put on my Luddite techno-pessimist hat. But first, let's do some grade it. How about our uh, A to F grading system? You want me to grade the actual grading system? Indeed. I would give it a, a C because I don't think there's anything wrong with grading. You need to assess something to improve it. But what I have a problem with is just giving the grade and then moving on. Someone got a C, too bad. Let's move on to the next thing. Your C is in the permanent record. It should be no. You should be able to keep working on that C. You can make it a B or an A. How about the average school's use of education technology? I would give it a C <laughs> as well. Um you know, folks are using it in some, I think, interesting ways. Uh, uh, you know, uh, almost every school is using Khan Academy in some way, shape, or form. It it does tend to gravitate to what I would call um, synchronous, everyone work at the same pace type of uh, things, which in certain areas are, are, I think, completely reasonable. But, you know, to, to get an A, 
I would love to see a lot more of both personalization of pace, more mastery learning, which the ed tech can help do. And then also ways to leverage the technology tools to make the classrooms themselves more activity oriented or interactive and not interactive with a computer, but interactive with like, hey, we're doing a simulation, we're doing a dialogue, something like that. How about traditionally conceived, just homework? I'm a straight C grader. I'll give traditional homework a C. And when I wrote the One Rule Schoolhouse, I looked at some old studies about homework. There's There's been this waves of homework. You know, some people were pro-homework after Sputnik and then anti-homework in the 60s and then pro-homework again. And the, people haven't been able to find any correlation between the amount of homework and um, how much students are learning and their performance. The the idea is not a bad one if students are getting more practice at on things they need. Now, the reason why I gave it a C is a lot of homework is could either be characterized as busy work or it could be ca- characterized as um, things that the student may or may not need at that moment. You know, imagine if your PE teacher told you to go home and practice your uh, practice some basketball, which might be a great idea if you're trying to get better at basketball. But what if, even if you're a 90% free throw shooter, they said you have to do free throws tonight. And when you did those free throws, you didn't know if you made those shots until the next morning. And what have actually been more engaging or more useful for you would have been to practice three-pointers or layups or, you know, or, or playing some one-on-one with your friends. So that goes back to the personalization, the mastery. And I'll say the last thing, the thing that I think we definitely do need to make sure kids have is enough sleep. And some time to just relax and de-stress and have time with their family. And I think that's the stuff that unfortunately sometimes homework squeezes out. How about MOOCs or massive open online courses? I'll give MOOCs a B. And what I think they're doing great is they've taken things that used to sit in the ivory tower, made them transparent and massively scalable. Uh, massively open, so to speak, to actually use use the ac- acronym. Uh, so I think those are all huge positives. The reason why I wouldn't give them an A yet is they've just transplanted the traditional course into an online um, uh, modality. To get an A, I would love to see those, like leveraging the modality to once again, make it more personalized, make it more interactive, et cetera. And I think now with artificial intelligence, there's actually a huge new opportunity to make it even, even more feel like you're, you're working with a, a tutor one-on-one. TikTok as an education platform. <laughs> TikTok as an education platform, I'd, I'd probably give it a, a C. <laughs> a C, maybe in the best cases, a B, a B minus. You know, I, I would give YouTube a, a B, a solid B. But uh, TikTok, it's just so transient and so short it's hard to to really dig in deep on on anything in 15 seconds or even in 60 seconds. Um, it's also very hard to search and curate things, even if you're education content creator on TikTok. Uh, but in certain cases, it, it can be useful. You know, YouTube, it does most of those things better. It's, it's a little bit easier to search and find things on it. Obviously, it has longer form. Uh, and I have used YouTube a lot to do things like try to, you know, do some you know, try to fix my toilet or whatever else. And obviously a lot of Khan Academy uh, people find out about it via, via YouTube. Uh, But YouTube to get an A would have to get better at like categorizing it and showing the sequence and giving practice. And, you know, that's obviously some of the stuff that we try to do at Khan Academy. The policy environment 
for innovation in education? I'd give, oh, I'd, I'd probably give it a, a, a C or a D, depending on, on how we view that policy environment. I think there's a couple of things that, you know, it took Khan Academy a while to have the resources and the know-how, and we're still very honestly naive and early on, like, how do you even navigate traditional school districts? Like we've, from the beginning, we've had millions of kids in school districts and hundreds of thousands of teachers use us on their own. But then as soon as we wanted to work more formally with districts, we started going to all of these, you know, your RFP process and this process and that. And these things are in place for good reason, but they're oftentimes, you know, they're, they're one size fits all. I'll, I'll give an example. Um, we are working, there's a group that works on data privacy in California. And if you do this, if you are able to get into this one data privacy contract, then it works for all the school districts in California. That's great. The difficulty is, is that the, the way the, the this contract works today is all of the student information is essentially the property of the district. And for example, Khan Academy, and we think this is a good thing, is that the parents and the students, we think, should have access to their accounts, even if they move from one district to another. In fact, that's one of the values of Khan Academy. You can like persist, you know, you could be a, I mean, there's, we know stories of students who are homeless, who are moving from one couch to another couch. And as they move from school to school, it's actually incredibly valuable for their schools to see, oh, this is what you've been doing on Khan Academy. If when they leave one school, they had to close that account. And then when they move to the next school, open up a new account, all of that information is lost. So this is something that we're working, you know, we're trying to navigate it with these folks, but it's an unusual circumstance for them to, to uh, have to, to figure this, this type of thing out. I think if you talk about schools more broadly, yeah, you know, I, I would love to see an environment where we could have more aggressive experimentation of entire school models uh, like what we're doing in Khan Lab School and Khan World School. You know, Khan Lab School, I, I didn't initially want it to be, it, it is set up as an independent school. I initially wanted it to be a charter or a district public school, but I realized that we would not have as many levers to really play with because we wanted to do some pretty pretty bold transformations if we did it that way. Khan World School, because we're doing it with ASU and they already had a statewide charter in Arizona, it is a it is free for any student in Arizona, which I, which is exactly what we want it to be. And then it's a low cost or relatively low cost for anyone outside of Arizona. But, you know, I would love to work, you know, and, and there are states like Arizona that have made it easier for novel approaches to a lot of this. You know, I, if I had my wish list, I would want ways that entities like Khan Academy could actually help issue credit, either high school or college credit. We're working with partners on this. We have a partnership with Howard University for giving high school high schoolers in Title I high schools college algebra credit when they get mastery on Khan Academy. But those are the types of things that if, if, if we could make happen, things would accelerate even more. So that's the end of Grade It. So I told you that I can be a little bit of a Luddite. I do worry about the amount of time that kids spend on screens just like writ large for good or ill, just it's the displacement effect that I worry about. When you're doing this, I'm absolutely convinced of your pure motives for these tools, but just in the broader sense, do you worry about the technology creep, particularly with students? I, I do, um, but I worry about it in a slightly different way. Like I already think we, 
I think we're already at, let's call it maximum technology creep. <laughs> like, I, I don't think you can, you can take your average 14 year old and, and if you let them without any regular regulation on the part of parents and look, you know, as a parent, I see some parents regulate more, some parents regulate less. But if you, if you have very little regulation of a 14 year old or a 16 year old, they're on the technology pretty much all the time, um, which is not good. Uh, and, but it's not that all of their technology time is bad. Uh, if they are writing a computer program, that could be good time. If they are writing a paper, if they're doing research, if they're editing video, those could all be interesting things to be doing in moderation. Now, look, to do any of that stuff, you, you will have to spend hours on a computer. And look, in my day job, I spend hours on a computer, but it has to be in balance. What I, the places where I worry more is when you and I were young, when we wanted to hang out with friends, we would ride our bikes over to their house and hang out with them. Worst case, we would pick up our landline and chat with them on the phone, but like we would actually talk as, as human beings. We know that's not what hap was happening right now. All of that stuff that we used to do when we were young has been displaced with me staring at a phone and texting or seeing what people posted on Snapchat or Instagram and then feeling depressed that I didn't get invited to that party or that my friend looks so cool or they're, they're able to go on this amazing trip or whatever. Um, and it's hurting my self-esteem. And so it's, it's not only displaced time outside, time running around, real human time, but it's also um, in many cases making me ignore the human beings that are in the room with me, like my family. Um, uh, or it's, it's making me feel insecure or depressed or anxious. So to me, this, you know, conmigo constructive uses of artificial intelligence and other technologies, if, if they're more engaging, they're, they're, they're hopefully they're not competing with the student um, going outside for a run or hanging out with their friends at the coffee shop, but they're competing with the like, hey, why don't you get off of Instagram and, and have a conversation with George Washington and, and, and or, or have a debate about, um, you know, whether the universal basic income is a good idea or not. Um, and, and, you know, my, my real dream is that Conmigo, the AI can actually help students realize, hey, like, are you spending enough time outside? Like, how can I help you feel better? We were actually going to launch an activity with that at launch. And then, you know, we kind of shied away from it because it felt a little bit like a therapist. And we're like, yeah, we don't want to get into like, you know, people thinking that this is a therapist or a healthcare provider or something like that. But I do hope that it can act as a little bit of a coach to help people go outside. So simple answer is, you know, no matter what happens with technology, if they can get a couple of hours a day outside running, hanging out with friends, talking to their family, having dinner at the table. That's the kind of stuff that, that we need to optimize. And look, a lot of what I talk about is what the future classroom should look like. The future classroom, there might be, yes, some, I would say maybe let's call it a third of the time might be personal computer time where you're working on something that matters to you. But I would want at least 50% to two thirds of the time being somehow you're working with other people in the classroom. You know, traditionally in a classroom, when you and I were kids, we, we just stared at the, you know, at the wall or with our fingers on our lips. Um, you know, now now I, th I hope classrooms can also become more, more human interactive. Your answer reminds me of many years ago playing on my Nintendo Wii and that little window would come up that would say, shouldn't you go outside for a few minutes? And that was a very helpful prompt from the Nintendo system back a previous generation or so. I'm going to give you one last question, and perhaps ironically, this one comes from ChatGPT itself. It says, one potential concern with using AI in education is the potential for students to become overly reliant on technology, 
and lose important problem solving and critical thinking skills. So how do you balance the benefits of AI with the need to develop those core competencies? Well, you know, ChatGPT nailed it. And that is actually our true north as we have been launching Conmigo, which is, okay, how do we use it in ways that it will enhance your critical thinking skills instead of being a crutch for your critical thinking skills? So yes, if a student just randomly goes to ChatGPT and says, here's my assignment, write it, that's a crutch. Um, if the student goes onto uh, Conmigo and Conmigo helps the student debate uh, on a topic, that's you know, debate is building critical thinking skills. Like there's there's no crutch there. It's literally like pushing the student's thinking, um, interviewing a historical character. That's driving engagement. It's making them more curious. I think that's building their critical thinking skills. It's, it's kind of placing them in history or in literature. Um, and this is what we talked about at the beginning. If the tutoring sessions are not. I'm going to do it for you. It should be, I'm going to do it with you and I'm going to nudge you and we're going to have a little bit of productive struggle here, but I'm going to keep you engaged. And that's what a great tutor would do. There are tutors out there that will just do the work for a student. And those tutors are not doing those students a favor. But there are other tutors, the good ones, who will say, oh, well, look, how do you think about that? All right, well, here's a hint, but like, how would you approach it from here? Or here's another worked example. Now you try to do the original problem. And I think you do it that way. It's only going to build critical thinking. And look, this isn't just an AI issue. Pre-AI, there are companies, I won't name names, but there are companies, large companies with large valuations out there. Their whole business model is we're going to do kids' homework for them. And kids pay subscriptions, go to these sites, and it does their homework for them. It'll either help them write, not help, it'll write their papers, it'll do their college essays, it'll it'll do their math homework for them. That's cheating. That's not going to help anyone. Um, and that was pre-AI. So I think, once again, it's um, any of these technologies themselves are neutral. What matters is is how people deploy and put constraints around them. Saul Khan, thanks for coming on the report card. This is fascinating. And really, I have a bunch of questions that I want to ask you, you know, a year or so into implementation. So maybe we'll have to have you back on after you have a couple more months under the belt to find out how it's going, you know, maybe in 2024. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the report card with Nat Malkus. And special thanks to our guest, Saul Khan. Remember, you can subscribe to The Report Card on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. And while you're there, take a moment to leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. Send us your comments, questions, or topic suggestions to ed.podcast at aei.org. That's it for this episode. I'm Nat Malkus.